Entrepreneur MBA podcast purpose is to help existing business owners grow their companies past the $10 million in revenue per year benchmark. Here is your host, Stephen Halastic. Welcome, everyone. My name is Stephen Halastic, and I am co-founder of Financing Solutions. Financing Solutions provides easy-to-set-up lines of credit for small businesses, and I will be your host for today for the Entrepreneur MBA podcast. If you're interested in learning more about the line of credit that we offer to small businesses, please visit fscreditline.com. That's FS as in Financing Solutions creditline.com. And I would tell you, I, I'm a firm believer that every small business or every business should have a line of credit in place. I know I certainly have. Over the last 25 years, I've built six companies in the $5 million to $25 million range, including two companies that have made the Inc. 500 fastest growing companies in the United States. I love learning from people with business experience. And today I'm excited to be speaking with Nick Gray. Nick, Gray is an entrepreneur and author living in Austin, Texas. He started and sold two successful companies, Flight Display Systems and Museum Hack. Nick is the author of The Two-Hour Cocktail Party, a step-by-step handbook that teaches you how to build big relationships by hosting small gatherings. Over 75,000 people have watched his TEDx talk about why he hates most museums. He's been featured in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, and New York Magazine called him a host of culturally significant parties. Nick, welcome to today's Entrepreneur MBA podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Excited to to speak with you. So today's topic, which is a a super fun topic, and I think it's a lost skill. uh, It's the two-hour, it's called the two-hour cocktail party, how to build big relationships with small gatherings. It's based on the same name of the book that you wrote, correct? Uh, yes, that's right. That's right. Now, let me ask you a question. Did you know while you were building those businesses that you had a natural skill in uh, in kind of building relationships through networking and that, those type of things? So when I first moved to New York, I lived in New York City for 13 years, and I, I really didn't know anybody when I first got there. And I went to a bunch of networking events, and I just wasn't meeting the types of people. I wasn't successful in these loud bars that were crowded and dark. And uh, So instead of going to bad networking events, I started to bring the party to me and host my own events. And by hosting those parties, that's how I launched my last business. And I think every entrepreneur, business owner should be hosting parties to make friends, build new relationships, things like that. So the two companies that you have, flight dis- that you had, Flight Display Systems, what did Flight Display Systems do? Flight Display Systems made um, avionics equipment for small jets. So if you've flown on a Citation jet or a Learjet, small plane, it would make that map that shows you where the, fl- the plane is flying across the country and then made the screens and the DVD players and Blu-ray players and the buttons and switches. So a lot of um, electronic equipment for these small jets that were primarily used in the resale or retrofit market. Cool. And Museum Hack? Museum Hack was my last company. It did renegade museum tours, non-standard, you know, very funny tours. I'd hire stand-up comedians and Broadway actors to be the tour guides at major museums. Our, our largest was the Metropolitan Museum of Art. And was that just a passion of yours? You just, you, you saw an issue. 
it, it, it started out as a passion, as a hobby. I never thought it would be a business. And it was just a hobby that I did for friends. I've led over a thousand tours myself as a tour guide. And then one day a blog wrote about it and said it was the best thing to do in New York City. And literally overnight, 1,300 people emailed me, wanted to join a tour. Celebrities started to come and share it on their socials. And then I built it into a business. You should do that on, you know, my wife and I used to do a lot of, we love the tours that we would do through the apps and, uh, you know, and for some reason they seem to have died out and, you know, we used to do a lot of tours and we loved them and we were like, what's yeah. happening, you know, and you should apply right. that same model to, uh, you know, a more of an app. I don't know what happened to them all. It's more scalable to do it on the app, but I'll tell you something interesting. The museum's collection doesn't actually remain the same. And so you design a tour based on the app. Well, now the museum moves a painting around, which actually does happen. It goes out on loan or something. And now you have to reconfigure your whole app and it happens a lot more frequently than you'd think. So it's harder to do. Well, it was but so it's a good idea. It wasn't so much the museums because I, I get it. Mm. It was, I mean, you don't move a building. So we would do all historical tours and those type of things. Nice. And they just seem to go out of, they just, I'm like, wow, what a great model. You create it once, right. you know, and you, that's it. You're done. Maybe you update it once in a while and that's all the things. So anyway, uh, you know, here, here you, we're talking to two entrepreneurs right here who certainly we jump right into right. The business stuff, right? So, so yep. wh why do you think, Big network gathering events. I mean, this is probably an obvious answer uh, that you can answer. But uh, what? Why do you think they're just not? People aren't good at meeting people at those events. Well, let's think about you as a successful business owner, or some of your listeners. They own multi-million-dollar businesses. They have a lot of employees. Their needs are very different from someone who just shows up to the party to sell insurance or something like that. I'm not saying there's anything bad with those people, but when you go to an event, you want to meet people that are interesting. You want to talk to the right people. And at many of these networking events, there's simply no way to meet people except you physically bumping up and encountering somebody and striking up a conversation. Then you're trapped in conversation for 10 or 20 minutes and you only meet people by sort of happenstance. It's not a curated group. It doesn't feel generous. It, there's no sense of intimacy. You don't have the right conversations that you need to. And so for high quality people, I think they can be better served by hosting high quality gatherings. And my cocktail party format and formula really says you really only want 15 to 20 people. That's the ideal size for a party. Now, are you originally from Austin, Texas? I just moved here a year and a half oh. ago. I grew up in the suburbs of Dallas and North Georgia. I okay. went to school in North Carolina. So, I mean, there's an observation that I'll make. Um, I had a guy who worked for me from Iowa. And uh, this is just one example, but I, I've yeah. seen it. And that is from certain parts of the country, the way that people conduct business is through networking. Mm. And in other parts of the country, it's... It's not that way. It's you, you're, you're doing advertising and your, your lead generation is that way. Has the, is the area that you grew up is networking through people to generate business, a commonplace thing. Um, I grew up very much online on the internet. I was making okay. my first business in 1996 doing web hosting companies 
And I've always been trying to surround myself with high quality people. But I know what you're talking about, where certain industries, especially, is what they lovingly refer to as a good old boys network. And so I understand that idea. I think cities like New York also attract people that are interested in connecting with other high quality individuals. Yeah, I, I, uh, the businesses I've always had have never required um, the type of relationship building for the business itself that I think I could be always be really, really good at. Because I, I love people. I love meeting new people. I'm outgoing. I'm willing to talk to anybody. Uh, you know, and yet I haven't really used that skill in that 25 plus years. Interesting. Uh, yeah. And so I, I think I love your, your idea of, of small gatherings. Now, do I have those relationships with other guys who have businesses? Uh, yes. Do I have other, like, you know, other interests where I have those type of relationships? Yes. Uh, but I, I never really fostered it, you know, to an extent uh, to really propel my career forward, so to speak. Uh, what, do you, what do you think about that? What area do you live? Do you live in a major metropolitan area? So I'm 50 minutes outside New York and I go yep. to New York all the time. Uh, and so, uh, you know, it would, uh, you know, have I gone to big networking events? Uh, yeah, just because I'm interested and I like to learn, not so mm -hmm. much to meet people. That's been a long time since I've had to do that. Uh, you know, so you know, maybe when I was looking at other businesses to potentially purchase, I did some of that, you know, yeah. there was always an avenue for that, but I didn't, I didn't see that the opportunities really. So here's my suggestion for you. You have a huge network. You've interviewed so many people on this podcast. You've done business for so many years, and you probably know in New York city, hundreds of people that are thousands. on your social medias and yeah. email thousands of people, right? And yet, they're these people that you haven't really connected with or stayed in touch with. Maybe they've fallen off your email list. They don't see your posts on LinkedIn, whatever it is. We find out about, I don't have to tell you this, but we find out about the best business opportunities, the best relationships, the best investment ideas through our connection of acquaintances. It's often not our best friends who bring us new business deals. It's this loose network of acquaintances that maybe somebody you bumped into and met a couple of years ago. And now they just happen to have a new deal that's available for you, right? Or they happen to know a new employee that you've been dying to fill and to hire for that position in your company. Uh, I think you would benefit by hosting a little happy hour or a little cocktail party that you could do in New York City to have a meetup as a light touch to stay top of mind for all these people out there to re-engage with these high quality connections that the reality is you're busy, they're busy, you just haven't had time to invite them over to dinner. And so my whole thesis is that you can get 80% of the benefits of a dinner party with only 20% of the work by hosting a happy hour, a cocktail party, something like that. You can invite more people, you can connect with more. In the same amount of time it takes you to watch a Netflix movie, just imagine if you can build relationships with 20 people. Yeah, it's funny you should say that because I'm just about to start it was a friend of mine. Uh, I don't know if you guy you know a guy named Mike Mal McCallowitz. He he's written six books, um, and he uh, he suggested to me. I'm fr I'm friendly with him, 
he suggested that we put together an entrepreneur poker club. And so we're yeah. starting in September, uh, to our first, you know, our first, uh, club and you have to be an entrepreneur building a business yep. and willing to come play poker. So, so that will be a new initiative. Uh, but that's a good idea. That's nice, right? Yeah. Oh, it's great. We're doing it for a different reason, but that is, it's something that we, him and I both were, have been very involved in EO entrepreneur organizations yes. for, for decades. And he said, let's do this locally. And there was, there's, there's actually another reason outside of business to do it, but we just thought let's combine these things together. And it was more about relationship building. Um, so I'll play devil's advocate for a second with you. Uh, yes, listen, please. I believe in what you're saying, right? Uh, I, but yep. I, um, so like financing solutions, for example, like I never wanted to be in the position where I was the rainmaker of uh -huh. the company. Like yeah. the, 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 you know, so I don't want to be out there generating, uh, the business. I want the business to come to me. So my role is 95% not marketing. You know, I come up with the marketing plans and to me, the two hour cocktail party is another venue of a, another avenue of marketing. Right. So, yes. so that's how I would say I'm going to uh, play devil's advocate with you. I don't want to be the rainmaker. I want the rain to come to me. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so maybe are there folks on your staff who can, who could run something like this for you, where maybe you just get to show up and do it and you just show up and make an appearance and you build the relationships. You are the head, you are the center, you are the guy. And setting up, sending out the invitations, you're right. Maybe you don't exactly want to do that. But this is a perfect formula for someone that's an executive assistant, an events planner, somebody on a team that could just host something for current clients, past clients, new clients, business associates, and you just show up and make an appearance. Yeah. So tell me, tell me about the book that you, ha that you have. So tell me how the chapters are divided up. Like, not, not like, yeah. you know, tell me a little bit about, you know, what you're kind of how you're putting people through the methodology of a two hour cocktail party. Yep. So the general gist of it, the, when you think about what are these parties, why do I need a book to know how to host a party? I know how to host it. How hard can it be? Well, actually there's some counterintuitive advice. I'll give you one of them. The best day to host one of these parties is probably not what you think. The best day is actually a Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday night. Now, why is that? It's a non-socially competitive night. You want the most of your business clients' connections to show up, and so you're not going to host it on a busy night. Second, by hosting it with a two-hour frame of time, people know that this isn't a long, drawn-out party, and they actually show up more on time, and they respect that you respect their time. The gist of the party, I guess you could think about it like the Nick party formula. So that's my name, N-I-C-K. Um, N stands for name tags. I stands for um, icebreakers. You'll do a couple rounds of icebreakers to encourage new conversations. C stands for cocktails only, no dinner. This is not a dinner party. Dinner party is actually very advanced. It takes a skilled facilitator, takes a lot of time, a little bit of money, and it's a lot of stress. And then the K stands for kick them out at the end. It's only two hours long, and people will really appreciate you as a host when you do that. What made you... so? Did, when you had moved to New York, wait, yeah. So, 
When did you write the book? Um, I wrote the book over the last five years, and it started as a Google Doc that I was sharing with friends, and me and about 65 other people were using it to develop this perfect party formula so that when you move to a new city, when you want to host a housewarming party, when you just want to meet new business connections and grow because it can be lonely as an entrepreneur, yeah. then this is the format for somebody that they can do to host a guaranteed event that's not stressful and that you know will be successful. So, I mean, how many of these events do you think you personally did? Host uh, more than 350 probably. Wow. Wow. And so tell me what you think you got out of it, the top three things. Number one, the biggest thing was I launched my last company, Museum Hack, which did $3 million in revenue. We had about 50 employees. Uh, I sold it in 2019. So the biggest thing that I got was I had a warm network when I was launching my business. By hosting these parties, I had all these people that had seen me run an event. I wasn't just a random LinkedIn connection. They didn't just have met me five years ago, but they knew that I hosted a good event. And so when I launched my business, they were there for me. Uh, number two was just making new friends. All of my best friends, literally, when I moved to a new town, I knew the formula. Move to a new town, don't know anybody, start to host parties. It's an easy invitation. Everybody wants to be invited to a party. And then number three, you know, this is kind of kind of like a personal thing, but just for dating, it's been very helpful to meet somebody, to invite them to come to a party versus a dinner date, which can be awkward. So I'd say building relationships across the spectrum, it's been good for me. Hmm. I wonder if you could apply. So I'm recently single. Uh, my wife, uh, I, t a terrible note, my wife passed away last year. Oh, and, sorry for your uh, loss. Thank you. And that's why the poker thing came about. I, mean, I wasn't going to say it, but that's why the poker thing came about. I was talking to Mike, letting him know. I'm like, I, I, all our friends were our friends or her friends. They weren't just my friends. And I yeah. said, I'm lonely, you know? And so yeah. he's, I said, I need to fill my time again. I need to rebuild my friendships. And he's and Mike suggested he goes let's do a poker entrepreneur party and he you know and stuff like that so so that's perfect yeah so I you know I'm I'm, in, I'm on the on dating online dating world which by the way has worked great for me honestly um, but yeah. uh, but have you thought applying this model to to dating. I think this formula works very well for dating and for people that are sick of online dating or that feel oversaturated, um, which for myself, I can tell you just honestly, I don't do too well in online dating, but mm -hmm. I do amazingly well at my parties because I get to meet people. I get to invite them. They get to see me and who I am. And that's hard to express in an online profile. Um, so I think this works incredibly well for dating. And I've heard of some people who use it very successfully for that. Yeah, don't you think that, uh, you know, like, for example, I know Match, of course, does, you know, these get-togethers, which I haven't done any of these these events uh, uh, yet. But um, but do you think there's a business there for the online dating world? I mean, every, I bet you 80% of people hate online dating. Online right? dating. You know? Yeah, I mean, I actually really, it's worked very well for me, so I, I really like it. But, um, but, the, but do you think there's a business there to, 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 have the methodology uh, to create the website because we all know people who are single. And if you say that, right. if, if I called up my friend Gina and said, Gina, there's, hey, there's this party I'm having. And, uh, you know, 
you know, uh, two hour cocktail party. And, and the, the only thing you need to do is pay $20 and bring two friends who are single. That's the only thing you need to do. Right. You think there's a, yeah. a you think there's a business model there? So what I know about singles parties, speed dating events, things like that, is it doesn't matter the quality of event that you produce. It doesn't matter. You could throw the best event with the most on-point logistics, food, drinks, everything. The sad reality is that your event will only be judged based on the quality of attendees. Uh As such, that makes it very hard to create a business because... You know, if your male-female ratio is off, if you have too many men, too little men, if the quality of your attendees, if people don't think that it's a good matchup, it doesn't matter about all the work that you put in. And so really the special sauce or where the business opportunity probably is, is around the lines of being an executive matchmaker, go into the higher end sector of the market. That's probably would be my thought for business opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. Now, did you learn that? Um, did you actually look at your model and say, does it apply to a dating model or is it just something that you've observed? Uh, I've heard from people who are single, who host these parties. They read my book to host their own cocktail party. And then they low key will invite people that they are interested in dating, but it's not exclusively. They're not just doing this for singles parties, which by the way, that's the tip or the hack that if you're ever going to do a singles event, which you totally should do. The secret, though, is just don't call it a singles event. So you can invite your single friends, you can host them, have a party, but don't call it a singles party. Now, the people that going back to the business party, the networking party, right? Yep. Um, Do you how do you control the quality of people who are going? They're all people, you know. Generally, yes, they're people that I know or I'll let people bring a guest. Here's my thoughts. Running, doing a well-run event, and you know this, you've been to a lot of events. It's not, yes, it's simple. It's not rocket science, but it's also a learned skill. So you mentioned it's kind of a lost art. And so my suggestions for people with reading my book is that you make your first party a low stakes affair. What do I mean? Don't invite people you're trying to impress. Invite your close friends, your neighbors, invite people you work with. Don't, don't jump all the way to the top for dating, for building business relationships. Host your first party, practice using some of the formula, run a good event, and then you can start to reach. Then you can start to curate and improve the quality of your attendees for a more specific audience. But your first one is like a dry run. It's like a beta test. So even when you get past the first one, or even if you do the first one, uh, is there a criteria that you have? So in other words, is you... You know, are you going to have somebody there who owns a $10 million business and then another person who works doing uh, building roads and construction? Uh, would you, are you going to have those types of people there? So I actually do like to have a really good mix of people. When I was in New York, you know, maybe I knew some dancers and artists and online marketers and people with big businesses. And for a general cocktail party where I'm trying to have 15, 20, 25 people, where I'm trying to have excitement and energy in the room, I'm trying to have different faces and diversity, I do like to have that. And I think it makes for more interesting conversations. That being said, you can absolutely focus this like EO and maybe do one of these for just like EO members. My advice on that would be that if you are trying to curate the room 
to be a specific audience, be very careful about allowing people to bring their partners or plus ones. That kind of gets away from your purpose of curating the room. Plus they talk to them. (laughs) They talk to them and they use them as a conversational crutch. You're exactly right. Yeah. So, uh, how do you how do you start the meeting so that people get to know each other? Does it just happen naturally? I mean, do you get up and say, "Hey, you know, my name is Nick, and this is the reason I'm doing this," and go? But what do you what do you do? Yes, yes, yes. I do exactly that. I will make three rounds of um, icebreakers, and I do simple, simple icebreakers. I think you need to think about these icebreakers like green, yellow, red. They get increasingly more vulnerable. But at the beginning of the night, I'll just say, hey, everybody, thank you so much for coming. We're going to do a real quick round of icebreakers. Say your name, what you do for work, and tell me one of your favorite things to eat for breakfast. That sounds like a silly question, but it works at the beginning of the night when there's not rapport, when the room is still a little cold and a little bit of stuffy. It's easy to do that. I was invited to a huge real estate event last night to lead a round of icebreakers for people. And they use these icebreakers just to give an excuse, a conversational crutch to go up to somebody and be like, oh, hey, I heard that you worked at Keller Williams or whatever. And they go up and they chat with people. It is so helpful to get the room. And you're going to do that three times during the two-hour cocktail party. What would the second one be? The second one, I actually do the first one when you've got about five people who've shown up. That's the early, what I call the awkward zone at a party. When there's not enough people there, it's a little awkward. Maybe somebody you hardly know showed up first, right? That happens a lot. Your friends never show up on time. And so during the awkward zone, we'll do that first one. Hey, um, let's just go around the circle, say your name and what you do for work, maybe your favorite thing for breakfast. Then when everybody's got there, about 30 minutes after the party starts, I'll do the same icebreaker. Nobody ever complains that you're doing the same one. Now they understand you're doing it for the whole room. The third icebreaker that I'll do, I like one of two questions. Number one, what's the best piece of media that you've consumed recently? It could be a book, a podcast like this. It could be a Netflix show or a movie. It could be an article that you watched, but share something that you really enjoyed that made you think or laugh or something like that. So I like that question. Another one that I like in a room of business owners or friends or entrepreneurs would be, what's the best purchase that you've made over the last year? Let's say $100 or less. It could be an object or an experience. People get to share about kitchen gadgets or a fun tour that they went on. And that's a really good one. Everybody shares cool ideas. Both of those Notice what we're doing. We're asking a room of smart people for their recommendations, and it makes the whole room feel smarter. So I got two questions for you. I'll give it, I'll say the last one for later. So I just thought of it as a scenario. So I was just, there's this guy who I've become very good friends with, and I see this all the time, 65 years old. Uh-huh. He's, uh, he uh, was a CFO for a major company. And, you know, all, he's retired now and he is struggling to what to do with his life. Yes. Right? It, it happens all the time when entrepreneurs sell their businesses. They're like, what do I do now? It's like the worst time. You know, everyone thinks it's the best time. It's the worst time because they don't know what to do with their time. Yeah. And it happens with people who retire from companies or entrepreneurs when they sell their business or whatever. They close it down, whatever. So, 
you know, I thought, you know what, this would be a good idea for him because again, this is about maybe potentially ideas coming to him, right? Yes. He meets all these people and he yes. finds out what all these people are doing for a living. He, he, maybe he can even say, Hey, you know, I'm looking for a next opportunity if you know of anything. Right. So yeah. would he, you said early on that he would, uh, that he should just invite 10 friends and have the cocktail party. But is he going to learn anything new through those 10 friends that he wouldn't have done on a one-on-one basis? It doesn't matter. His first party, he's learning how to run a good event. I run a party. Okay. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So his first party, he's going to have 15 people. By the way, he starts first with something that I call his um, core group. His core group is five friends like you who say yes, that'll guarantee to be there and to show up. Once he gets those five yeses, then he can reach out to a wider group of people to invite them because then he knows it'll be a success. What do you think the number one fear is of someone who's never hosted a cocktail party before? Uh, people are bored. Uh, people are yeah. They don't talk. That would be my concern. That'd be my my concern. Yeah, they're bored. What are they going to talk about? Are my friends interesting? One of the big fears I hear as well is, well, nobody's going to show up. That's a huge fear, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, so, <laughs> and so we limit that by doing three rounds of reminder messages. We collect RSVPs. These are things that sound obvious, but actually having them written down on a checklist, like that's in my book help you to guarantee people because uh, now I've had hundreds of parties that, that folks have hosted from reading my book and they say on average over 93% of all the people who say yes actually show up to the party. For your friend that you were talking about who's 65, he's meeting all these people. Well, what's his next step? If he meets somebody interesting, maybe he'll get their phone number, he'll get their details and he'll have a dinner with them or a coffee or a lunch. Instead, how easy is it? All these people he's meeting to say, hey, my friends and I host these cocktail parties. Can I invite you sometime? And that's one of the biggest benefits that as a business owner, you meet a lot of interesting people, but you're just too busy to have one-on-ones with them. At a cocktail party, it's an easy way for you to bring people into your world. Yeah, and not to be sexist, but this is what I found too. Women do an incredible job of building a social network. Yes. And men don't. And so I think men would really want to go to this cocktail party. They enjoy these type of things. Yeah. And, you know, just go ahead. What were you going to say? Well, I was just going to say, it's hard to make new friends as an adult. As we get older amongst guys, most, I read a stat that said most Americans hadn't made a new friend in over three years. Yeah. That's crazy, right? Because as we get older, friendship becomes a game of attrition. People just kind of fall off. We lose more friends than we make. Yeah, And as a guy, it's also weird. What are we going to say? Hey, do you want to be my friend? (laughs) Versus you're right. Like women are so much better at that. Yeah. So, all right. I have two questions for you. Uh, They're probably going to be the last two questions. You can tell me which one you want to tell me uh, answer first. The first one is tell me the craziest story about what happened in any of the gatherings that you've had, like the weirdest, craziest ones. And then the other one is tell me the most successful one. Not, it may not be for you, but it could be for somebody else, but you pick which one you get. You're going to choose. 
Great. Um, I'll think of two ones that just came off first. So first, the craziest one. My 37th birthday party I hosted at Lincoln Center in New York City. And I hesitate to share about these big fancy party stories because I don't want your listeners to think, oh, I have to have Lincoln <laughs> Center. Parties meant to be host at your home. It can cost less than $100. But I host hundreds of these parties. So for my birthday, I kind of do something big. Well, for my Lincoln Center party, I had a lot of rehearsal parties leading up to it to just practice some of the entertainers and the band. And the the most interesting thing that I could share with you is I actually liked one of the rehearsal parties better than the actual party itself. Why was that? There was no stress for me. I just got to invite a different crowd of people to come for that one. I was just playing around experimenting. Versus on my actual birthday, there was catering and there was this and there was all this other these entertainers and these VIPs that I had invited were there. And so that was pretty stressful. Um, the best success story that I can think of. Um, let's see. I'm thinking about this woman whose name is Nagina. She lives in New Jersey and she is a self-described soccer mom. She has a business. She runs her business and she takes care of her kids and she has a beautiful family. But she didn't have a lot of friends. And she would go to these PTA meetings at school and not know anybody. She just didn't feel like she had friends. She read my book. She hosted a couple of these wine Wednesdays for her girlfriends. And now she goes to the grocery store and she gets recognized. People are like, oh, my God, Nagina, I heard about your parties. I saw you on Facebook or whatever. And for her, that was a big success. And I'm happy to hear stories like that all the time. All it takes is a simple two-hour cocktail party. Hey, you know, I I have a suggestion for you. I, I wrote this. I wrote a chapter in a best-selling bo- uh, business book, um, and I, I took that chapter that I wrote and and read it on my podcast because mm-hmm. <laughs> I know people like to listen to books better. I do. Um, yep. Have you considered doing that with your book? Um, I did an audible. I paid $6,000 to record it in a big studio. And you're exactly right. People love listening to stuff. That's a mistake that I made. I wish I would have had that audible ready when I launched my book. It didn't. It came out six weeks later. But man, the sales on that have been tracking about 30% of all the sales come from the audible. Yeah. So now it must be my last question. I was going to ask you this off air, but I think it's probably appropriate. So the reason you wrote this book. Um, and we're going to get a little bit more into my question, but tell me the reason why you wrote this book. I got so many benefits myself from hosting these parties and then training my friends how to host their parties and seeing them build friends and make these big relationships. I sold my last business. I'm in a nice position where I don't have to work again. And it's something that I want to do to give back. It truly, I think the world is a little lonely now. Post-COVID, yeah. we've forgotten how to gather. It's hard to make friends as adults. And so this is my way to do something cool. You know, are you familiar with the company Meet or the, uh, the website, whatever, Meetup? Yes, yes. Yeah. So the story behind Meetup was uh, it came out, the guy who started it, came, it came out right after 9-11. And he thought that the world needed to become closer together, that people were, were getting away from each other too much. And that there needed to be a way for people to come together to discuss things. And so he came up with the idea of meetup at the time. So something a little bit similar to what you're saying. And uh, I'll tell you what happened. So I got your book the other day, right? And I, I, um, I haven't had a chance to read it. I'm going to. And I got your book the other day. And 
so my vision for my potentially future mm-hmm. is, what is to uh, was to write a book, uh, write a couple of books, but write a book and then become a public speaker. And that way I get to see the world a little bit. I, I enjoy public speaking. I love, I love traveling, meeting new people. And I got your book and I was, you know, the, the ideas that I had for my books or book, let's say the first, the next one, it didn't exactly lend itself to like tons and tons and tons of different organizations who would say, Hey, we want you to come in and talk to this, to you, to mm. us about this. But with your book, when I looked at it, I said, you know, this book is could be used for any type of organization, right? And it, it, it was like, oh. I was like, wow, if you want to facilitate that vision of being able to be a public speaker, this book would allow you to go to insurance places and insurance parties and, and uh, not parties, but, you know, gatherings and real estate and small businesses and EO and, you know, so many different places versus the, the book I want to come up with, or want to write is where do business ideas come from? Right. Interesting. Very, very narrow focus. Had you ever thought of that before? I never thought about that before about a speaking tour, but I love that you're like five steps ahead. Well, and you're maybe thinking, one. okay. <laughs> well, but you're like, okay, I'll write the book, and the plan is to get speaking. How do I tailor the book? How do I write a book yeah. that will lend itself to a speaking career? I think that's smart. That's nice. Yeah, it's also has to be something I'm interested in as well. So I actually started thinking about that. Okay, I was like, okay, what do I do naturally that yeah. I could then convert into a book? And I, I did already had one idea because since I was 21, I've developed a, a methodology for li- a life plan. And I think that's very unique. I've always had it and people have been impressed with that. So I thought, oh, that's kind of, you know, that could potentially be used at a lot of different places. I don't know yet. So uh, so any last words to our, our, our listeners before you before we kind of sign off? Um, I think that this formula of how to host a cocktail party doesn't have to just revolve around alcohol and drinks. You can host a clothing swap. You can host a book swap. You can host a happy hour without alcohol. I have some Mormon readers that read my book that do just non-alcoholic drinks. But the idea to gather can supercharge you and help your business to make new friends and build new relationships. It's lonely running a business. That's it. That's all I got. Yeah. And on that note too, like I just, I had, while you, while you were talking before, I, I just joined the board of this nonprofit and I'm going to be the heavy hitter, the one that goes out and get, tries to get really big, big donations. And I, uh-huh. and as you were talking, I was like a two hour cocktail party that, that could be it. So, uh, you know, um, so it was good stuff. I enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. I'd like to thank so very much Nick Gray for coming on to today's podcast. And if you like today's podcast, please feel free to share it with a friend and also subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. Uh, also, if you would like to uh, learn about or you know look at the line of credit that uh, my company, Financing Solutions, offers for your business, you can either call us at 862-207-4118 or visit our website at fscreditline.com. Lastly, if you do like today's uh, podcast, uh, uh, please give us a five-star review. That is what the algorithms use to determine uh, where uh, our podcast is. We're, we have thousands of listeners. It's been a fantastic success. 
And those, uh, those five-star reviews really help. Nick, if anyone wants to get in touch with you or get your book, how would they go about doing that? The, the name of my book is The Two-Hour Cocktail Party. You can find it on Audible and on um, Amazon, um, anywhere books are sold online. And I have a really cool website at www.nickgray.net, N-E-T. And then on all the social media, I'm Nick Gray News, N-E-W-S. So say, hey, let me know if you host a party. I'm on a mission to get 500 people to read my book and to host a party for their friends, neighbors, and colleagues. I'd love to have you as one of those 500. Great. And I appreciate you coming on, Nick. Thanks very much. And so I think the thing that is a takeaway from today is a little different than I think you might think I would have said. And that is, um, I think it's important for all of us to try something new. Uh, I think, you know, I've done that many times outside of business. Uh, You took up sailing, took up competitive rowing, you know, uh, all different types of things to to, to make life exciting. And I think, you know, having a two-hour cocktail party for whatever reason that you think uh, it might be useful for you uh, would be a great start. And, you know, and I, I think it's a no-brainer if you're thinking of doing that to get next book. So other than that, I wish everybody a great day. Go out, enjoy the, ro- you know, the beautiful weather. It's still summertime as of this podcast. Even if it's not, you go outside, enjoy yourself. You deserve it. Uh, entrepreneurs do not take a good care of themselves. I always did. And I think it's critical, but, you know, get out there, smell the roses and enjoy being an entrepreneur. So everybody have a, a fantastic day. <laughs>